Well, hello. Ho, ho, ho. Now I have a machine gun. <laughs> Welcome to part two of the Alan Rickman Christmas special. I mean, the <laughs> I Wouldn't Watch Christmas special. <laughs> Last in this season one of I Wouldn't Watch. Aww. It's been emotional. Yeah. We Before we start, we do have actual emotional news. Oh, yeah. I'm very tired today. Because? Because I was woken up by a text at 5.30, which obviously it's my own fault. I didn't put my phone on silent. To tell me that my sister was fully dilated. And then quite a long time after that, a baby popped out of her. Uh, He's called Zachariah Edward. What a dude. Welcome to the world. Welcome. Uh, my sister's currently having a blood transfusion. She is. And uh, I've been helping her out by uh, sending her supportive messages of me with a sort of bag full of wine in my mouth. <laughs> what do you call that? You know the bag of wine that looks like a blood transfusion? Yes. That. Yes. Anyway, she should be fine. Congratulations to all the family. All of us. Well done, everyone. But especially the lady what did the pushing. Yeah. So, this film we watched last night, Die Hard, the original from 1988 with Bruce Willis. How did you find it, Han? I actually surprised liked it. I can't believe out of five films you've made me watch, I surprised liked two of them. Well, what was the other one you surprised liked? Gladiator. Okay. But Not the first half an hour, but I I did get into that. Well, this I felt like this was much easier. I've written down seven minutes in. You said, "Oh, he's got a family. He's got kids. I care if he lives or dies." Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Like, I think the two factors that meant that I like this and I didn't like Batman, for example, mm-hmm. was number one, it didn't start with shooting. Yeah. It started with a bit of context, a b- you know. There was a teddy bear. There was some cute kids. It was like, okay, I can get, I can get behind this. Yeah. Um, a bit of not shooting. Um, and I think the other thing is that the plot line was really simple. It was just like, oh, they're in a building and there's some bad guys. You didn't really need to know more than that. It wasn't yeah. like loads of scenes in loads of places. It was all just. In the building, it was obvious who was good and who was bad. Whereas Batman was like all over the place. Yeah, much more higgledy piggledy. This is very straightforward. Um, like you said, baddies and a good guy and some innocents all locked in a tower block. What happens next? Yeah, I did work out what would happen at the beginning though. About eleven like minutes in, I think I wrote it down. Oh, oh him and her are not having a great relationship. It's a bit. Rocky and they've been living apart and stuff he's going to save everyone and then she'll be like oh yes I do love him and that is what happened it is there we go it was it was pretty good an interesting thing I learned contextually the person who wrote the script who is uh, called insert name here Dan um, he wasn't sure how to get into it so it's an adaptation of a book and he wasn't sure how to get into it and write the script. He had a big argument with his wife, and then he went home. He, he went to work, 
and then he decided, no, I need to go home and reconcile with my wife, and made up with his wife, and then that night wrote 35 pages of the script, because he was like, this should be about a guy, and a, a, about a partnership that's struggling, you know, a man and his wife who are not getting along, and trying to reconcile, wrapped up in this disaster movie, which I think is why it, it connects with people like you, when it might not normally a connect woman. with you. I'll just keep it to people like you, please. <laughs> Do you think that would save all relationships? If we were having relationship trouble, should we get into some kind of hostage situation? I don't think that me, like, shooting up a bunch of bad guys is what you need to see from me. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. No, we sort of covered this in Batman. Oh, yeah. what we Like, <laughs> what women want from superheroes. All right, you want me to buy my own? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that bit. I'm still trying. I'm still trying. I'll keep you updated, guys. Um, and ladies, once I find out where it is, I'm going to put a picture on the internet just to help everyone else out. It's going to be like the, the ankle or the back of the knee or somewhere. Somewhere I haven't looked. Um, I don't know what to say. Yeah. So how many deaths and how many snogs? I think there was two snogs. There were two snogs, well yeah. counted. I have it at uh, 14 deaths plus a potential two more in the car. D- two or three. I don't know how many okay. people were in the car, but that got exploded a lot. Yeah. Um, I actually didn't feel like it was way too deathy. Like 14, it's a lot. It's more than my, my quota, but yeah, it wasn't just, you know, like uh, that war one where... It was impossible to even count. I think the important thing, this is 1988 this was made in. So it was kind of set the bar, I think, for some of these things. And it was very, if you watch it critically, it's very contextual. Yes, there's lots of shooting and blood and death. But like you said, it's not straight away. You don't dive into that kind of explosions and action. You dive into the heart of the relationship and it's built a lot on kind of relationships and stuff like that. It matters a bit more. Like when Ellis dies, that matters. Even yeah, which one's Ellis? The cokehead. Hans. Oh. Booby. He just says booby for no reason. <laughs> Have you ever had sex in an office at a Christmas party? <laughs> I mean, if you have, it's not been with me. <laughs> I <laughs> was going to say. a weird time for a confession. <laughs> well, love. Uh, Do no, you, does that happen? Like that that little scene where that woman came out with a with her boobs on the outside. Right. Uh, <laughs> I'm no anatomist, but aren't your boobs <laughs> always on the inside? Outside? Oh no! I thought it was testicles that could go inside, on the outside. Side of a clue. You know what not I mean? Testicles. Her boobs out. Yeah, she had her boobs out. I know it's a trope. It's a joke. It does sort of happen. I know a whole Bob Newhart. I don't think it happens it. in the office, though. I think if you can have sex at an office party, which I think does happen, you more likely be like, "Oh, do you want to come back to mine for a drink?" And then you have sex in your house, not in the actual office. Like, I wouldn't have want to have sex in an in an office. That was a pretty exceptional office, though. I did want to talk about that. It had a waterfall in the middle of it, and. Uh, like lots of executives have their own private offices with a private bathroom and a shower and uh, not a shower sorry like a sofa and a washroom and all this stuff like apparently i did read a bit about this that is a bit how it was like of japanese companies in america in the 80s i could get on board with that kind of office that's cool if you had to have sex at an office 
in that office where would you have looked? Definitely in the waterfall. Yeah, me too. Well, apart <laughs> from the fact that that was right in the, the middle of bit. the whole place. But yeah, I yeah definitely. I was sort of joking, but you you had I've that. I've got about water. <laughs> oh, okay, this is getting a bit <laughs> racy. Put down that glass of water, please. <laughs> uh, how much mulled wine have you had? How strong is that cup? <sighs> he gets called out. He's a New York City police officer, man, policeman officer, who gets who tries to reconcile with his wife, who's not using his name. So there's a bit of a time where they don't know who he is and how he's got to the party. Women don't have to say the name of a man. No, they don't have to. And she expresses the uh, desire to keep her name right up until the end of the film when she corrects him. She's like, it's McLean. Oh, yeah, because he's that guy that wrote uh, American Pie. <laughs> right, we need John to clear McClane. this up. He's not Don McLean, the guy who wrote <laughs> My My Miss American Pie. It's Bye Bye. My My Lady. <laughs> he is John McLean. So, Bruce Willis, I think it was interesting to research this because I was born in 1986. This film came out in 1988. I went to see it at the cinema um, <laughs> with my when dad <laughs> when I was two. He smuggled me in uh, to the 15 rated film. No, I think baby, like tiny babies are allowed to. I guess you weren't a tiny baby. Watch this film, a tiny baby. You can baby. go to that like breastfeeding film thingy. I don't think my dad took me to that <laughs> in 1988. Um, <laughs> but Bruce Willis was not an action movie star when this was filmed. No, I did read that. This is his first film. Before that, he did TV. and He did TV. He was known as a comic TV actor. I was trying to think, like, it's a bit like maybe Robert Webb from Mitchell and Webb getting asked to do a big action movie and then getting paid $5 million. People were, like, really surprised Bruce Willis got paid $5 million. Because that's a lot of money even now, but that's a crazy amount of money in time. And, um... People didn't go for it. It seems like people really did not go for Bruce Willis as an action movie star before they'd seen the film. So he was he was taken off some of the posters, and they just had the big picture of Nakatomi Plaza, the big the big tower, Nakatomi Tower, sorry, and his name, because people didn't think that Bruce Willis could do action. I feel like this is a problem a lot that actors get typecast, mm. and you should probably just give them a chance. Well, I th- I just thought it was really interesting because now, like, there is comedy in this film. There are moments where it's funny. And yeah, it was kind of fun. It's a light-hearted disaster romp. Mm, I guess. It's got moments of levity and fun and sincerity, like heart and pathos and stuff. And uh, But now we think of Bruce Willis. Well, now he's an old man who phones it in for terrible films. Does he? Yeah, if you've seen some of his latest films, he just he doesn't look at all bothered. Okay. But when he was young and still had his hair, he sort of he gave it he gave it some. Do you know which bit didn't work for me? I don't have any massive plot hole things, but I've got a small one. Go on. He was wearing a white top at the beginning. A vest, a vest yeah. Yeah. Uh conveniently so he could show off his muscles. Then the vest got a bit dirty. Fine. Yeah. I that's that's fine. Um, then it suddenly switched to a brown vest. And I know that was meant to be, oh, it got really dirty. But that is not how dirt works. It's all patchy. <laughs> There'd be a few white bits. 
They definitely just switched the vest to a brown vest, and I I couldn't get on board with that. Wow. So if you can look past vests, I mean, later on he does take it off and just go bare chested. Yeah, but that doesn't that doesn't make up for it. <laughs> also, he should have put some shoes on before. Well, no, I thought this was good because obviously I have seen this film before quite a few times. The first sequence of dialogue is between Bruce Wayne and some guy on a plane who tells him the secret to air travel is when you get where you're going, take your shoes and socks off and make fists with your feet in the carpet. Like scrunch up your feet. Yeah? And that is why he's barefoot later. Because he's taken his shoes and socks off to follow this guy's advice and all of a sudden, terrorists and thieves. Wait, what's that advice for? I don't know. I've I've never I didn't research whether that's good air travel advice. Like to not get that deep vein thrombosis or something. Possibly, yeah, like a tightening of the you know, stretch your calves and your feet and toe muscles. Oh, so he was doing that? He was doing that, yeah. Oh, that's why he had no shoes on. That's why he had no shoes on? I had not realised that until this, and this must be at least my fifth watch through of this film. Well. It's not as many times as you watch Love Actually. Yeah. But it was interesting to think. It's ve- it's quite well put together. The script is, th- well, the script, the dialogue is very tight. There's very little wasted dialogue. Uh, Alan Rickman's character is is meticulous and very clinical, and I lo- I feel like that comes across. He does a great job, I think. Yep. Do you want to hear a line that I misheard? Yes, please. Which I said at the time. I don't know who said this. So who said this line? Tell me the line, and I'll remember. Something about. What he actually said was mulled wine and a nice aged brie. Oh, yes. So he wa- Holly, uh, John McClane's wife, Holly Gennaro, and Ellis, the I think he's like the director of international acquisitions or something, as they say. Holly's like, go out there and enjoy the party. Leave me alone. Here's all, And she lists a bunch of things that he could enjoy. And he goes, no, no I'd prefer a mulled wine. A mulled wine. wine. And a nice aged brie. But I heard I prefer a mulled wine and ice age three. <laughs> and I was like, ice age three? That wasn't out then. This makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, that's is foresight. There an ice age three? I oh, think yeah. There is, yeah. Yeah. It's foresight, though, <laughs> to predict not only ice age, but it had two sequels. I guess the real ice age, the historical, <laughs> <laughs> the historical thing, had happened. Maybe that's what he was... He was saying, yeah, <laughs> I hope there's an ice age comes along because then we'll be some of the few people and you'll have sex with me. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. We've Maybe. uncovered a secret plot. An extra message hidden deep within the characters. So, yeah, Alan Rickman is a funny one because I would only until recently knew him from the film Love Actually. Yeah. And I hated his guts. <laughs> and then I found out a bit more about him recently, like... Yeah. Other films he's been in. Okay. The fact that he's dead. <laughs> um, yeah. And I've reconsidered. Oh, that's nice. I also, yeah, I also read his Wikipedia page. So um, he died in 2016. Yes, that was a bad year for celebrities. Yes, wasn't it? that's why he. That's what was his cause of death. What death was <laughs> being a celebrity in 2016. It was a risky time. You just never knew who was going to go. No, he died. He died of cancer. Um, but also, he was from like a working class family. His mum worked in the post office and was a single mum, just, yeah. just like me. Wait. The p- Wait, what? <laughs> I'm a Christmas temp. I'm not single. Um, yeah, stand down, guys. Stand down. <laughs> bring you up to date. 
Um, uh, also, he was like really into art and stuff. Like he went to art college first and he was like a graphic designer and stuff like that for a few years and then decided to go into acting Wow! after a few years of That's graphic interesting. Design. You're, well, I mean, you're into art as well. Yeah. Uh, you, m- I don't know if you're going to go into acting. I I like the idea of it. I'd, like, I don't think I will, but it definitely... I feel like it's something I maybe could have done. Interesting as well that he got so big as an actor. Like, he's a, he's a proper... I mean, he's dead now, but he was a proper famous, successful actor, and he started out as an artist. Yeah, apparently, as a child, he excelled at calligraphy and watercolour painting... Which I find funny because they're both things you really do as a retired person. <laughs> what an old lady of a young man he was. <laughs> I think that's why he died young. He'd already done retirement as a child. <laughs> was that um, harsh? <laughs> well, I just hope none of his loved ones are listening and missing him. <laughs> also, yep. um, we often give a shout out to people who've managed to stay married to the same person. We do, yeah. And uh, he... When he was 19, he met the woman he was with for the rest of his life. She was 18, he was 19. They weren't married very long. They only got married in like 2012 or something. Okay. But they were together like since the 70s. The whole time. Um, Lovely. So, well done. Well done then. <laughs> That's not, that so is that nice. just makes you think, oh, maybe he's not evil. Or maybe he's more evil than he's tricked her into staying with her all that time. Wow. I don't know. Those certainly are some options. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like I feel like I'm coming around to him. If only he'd lived longer <laughs> and met you, then we'd know. No. He was he he was good in this. I think his performance was really good. Uh this was actually I found it his first screen role. Before yeah. that he was a stage actor. A thespian. And uh it was the first like proper big screen role. That's I feel like he's knocked that out of the park. Well done. Well done. <laughs> Give <laughs> yourself a pat on the back. Have a gold star from us. I watched another film the other day that I borrowed off a friend, Sense and Sensibility, and he's in that and Emma Thompson's in that, and I think they get married at the end, which is odd because he's like too old for her. Although he's married to her and they've actually, I don't know. Another bit Yep. that was weird was like, that scene where the woman says to Alan Rickman, "Oh, there's a there's a pregnant woman here. Can she like have a sofa, please?" And yeah. he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I'll get it sorted out." Is that realistic? Does that happen in of all the hostage situations you've been in? Have they made allowances for pregnancy? Let me remember the times that I was pregnant and a hostage. <laughs> <laughs> I think the interesting thing about Hans Gruber, which is the name of the character that Alan Rickman plays. Is he's is is a very considered, meticulous and articulate person who has a very defined plan, you know, all the way along. He's trying to get to the money in the safe and he knows what will happen to get him to get the safe open in the end. I think he doesn't want those people inside causing a fuss and making a mess. So yes, I think he, he would I think his motivation is yes, is keep the them money not good. he's not bothered about He's not bothered about the people, he but he doesn't want to. He kill doesn't want them unless they're getting in the way of his money. His plan, I would say. Yeah. What? So there was six, six hundred forty million. Yes, in negotiable bearer bonds. Yeah, I don't know what that is, but that's too much money. Why doesn't he do a easier steal 
for like six million. I feel like you can live a great lifestyle on six million. You know, you could buy a really nice house, have a yacht as well, go on some holidays, not have to work for six million. Right. Why bother? Why bother six hundred and forty million? Like, so in it's the just not worth the effort. I don't think. In the film, one of the one of the quotes that's quite famous from him, he talks about how they wired the roof of the building to blow up when the helicopters land so that they think they're dead because if you steal $600, nobody cares. But if you steal $600 million, they will come looking for you. And by the time they figure out what's happened, we'll be sitting on the beach sipping margaritas, eat, earning 20%. And I think an enormous volume of cash just funds... I don't know. It it wouldn't what really work. Like then, uh, then what do you do with that money? You can't just turn up at a bank and be like, "Oh, hi, I've got six hundred forty million." Well, you can in a traveler's check. You can, can because you? bearer bonds are whoever bears it. That's in the name. Whoever holds it. I briefly looked it up. It's like a big money piece. A big piece of money. Yeah. Like if you hold a fifty pound note, it doesn't say Hannah Jones owns this fifty pound note or whatever. And it's the same with a bearer bond. Typically, it's like if you hold it, if you have it in your hands, it belongs to you and you can cash it in a bank. At a bank, sorry. So he could have, I think they were going to go to the, you know, somewhere in the Caribbean, the Grand Cayman Islands or something like that. And uh, the Swiss banks would have taken their money and not cared at all. Really? Oh, yes. The it's Swiss. It's to do with bears then? No. Uh, or it's bombs. Not, it's not the currency of bears. Bears are an exceptionally rich species. <laughs> Um, because they, they, what they do when they hibernate is they invest all their money. Oh, that's clever. And then they that's just clever. go to sleep and they don't worry about it. When they wake up, they've accumulated some more wealth. And they do that every year. And Why can't Winnie the Pooh afford trousers then? He's got different priorities. All his money is in honey mm. and keeping the, the bumblebee alive. It's important work. Remember there was a bumblebee crisis not too long ago? Was it 2016? <laughs> Might have been was Alan Rickman made of bees. <laughs> so, yeah, he does sort of talk about money, but I think some of these films... Do you remember in that Austin Powers film where Dr. Evil says he's going to hold the world to ransom for $1 million? Yes. Because he's been frozen for years, and everybody's like, $1 million, a big whoop, and then he has to go, $1 billion, in that Dr. Evil voice. Yeah. It's that kind of thing, I think. What's that kind of thing? The reason he's he's robbing six hundred million and not six million, because it's like there was how many terrorists were there, fourteen terrorists yeah, or something. Yeah, they got to share it around, but still, I just think it's a bit greedy. You're obviously not greedy enough t- to be a uh, international terrorist and thief. No, I was going to ask you if you had to commit a crime, what crime would you commit? <coughs> Good question. Because I wouldn't go for something as high profile as that. Like that's. That's effort. <laughs> I think the effort of a crime strikes me if you want to do one well, and I haven't done very many crimes at all, certainly not big ones, Your Your Honour, I think is in the planning of how you will get away with it. Yeah. You know? So it's not so much like planning how to do the crime, but it might be planning how to cover your tracks, how to make sure it doesn't come back on you if you've got an alibi or if you're bouncing money through many different intermediary banks or whatever. It's hard work. Why not just get a job? Well, because uh, some people are excited by that kind of thing and some people want to make $640 million. And uh, 
unless you're born into that kind of wealth, it's very difficult. Like, or you like create an app, or yeah, unless you're Jeff Bezos or one of those big tech names, it's very unusual that people go from zero to six hundred and forty million in a lifetime. Yeah, too much though. Yeah, give me if I was going to commit a crime, oh, go on. I was going to ask you. I'd probably just like let my parents in the house. Oh, I see. Well, for some context for you people listening in the future. It's the 13th of December. It's December. We're in tier two of the UK's COVID restrictions. We're not allowed to let people in the house. Well, it's most people. Yeah. Um, I think I would be tempted by some kind of cyber robbery. Have you seen really? Entrapment with uh, Sean Connery and Catherine Zeta-Jones? Anti-Cath. They uh, used the Millennium Bug to rob $7 billion or something. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd be interested in a bit of that. I think I'd do something more creative and interesting. Are you Banksy? I enjoy... Yeah, that. Yeah, that's nice. Oh, you've heard her. She has admitted she's Banksy. <laughs> I'd do, yeah, a big graffiti or... Like, trespassing is one of my favourite crimes. <laughs> Do go on. Just, you know, when I was a kid, that was top of my crime list. Whereas, like, fraud, such a dull crime. <laughs> All you fraudsters out there, you dullards. I think uh, fraud and, like, identity theft is not dull to the recipi- recipient. It's so... Like, do you... F- how do you think people who commit fraud get on in prison? Like, do you think they're the outcasts of prison when it's like, oh, yeah, I'm a drug dealer, I'm a pimp, whatever. Oh, no, I actually am just an accountant that committed fraud. Like, I bet they're not the cool crowd. Well, let me think back to all the times I was pregnant and in prison. Um, <laughs> I I don't know. There's th- obviously I've well, not obviously. Sorry. I've never been to prison. Um, I don't know if there's a sort of working class, middle class crime divide. Yeah, fraud's definitely middle class. Yeah. I've heard that certain people are at the bottom of the the hierarchy and hated by others, but I don't know what the uh, the pyramid scheme in a prison is. Oh, yeah, I, d- yeah, I, think, um, I think everyone hates pedos. Yeah, I was in trying... In and out of prison. That's what I was trying to. I don't think they have a good time. Okay. I'm not going to apologise for it. I think the drug dealers are top top in prison. Interesting. All my knowledge of prison comes from TV and film, so it's... Do they have podcasts in prison? Give us a shout out if you're listening (laughs) and you're incarcerated. (laughs) Satisfying word, incarcerated. Probably not a great feeling, but a great word. There was an interesting contrast between the professionalism of Hans and his men. Mm. It's a very men film, lots of men in it. And the apparent amateurism of the Los Angeles Police Department. You know, when they're all running around outside with their guns and like the lights and all this and Hans and his guys are like in place, ready, on the walkie-talkies. Yeah, I did like that bit where... at first, the just the one policeman turned up, and he was going to check out the building, 
And then that guy was sort of pretending everything was fine and you were like, oh, no, please, you need to stay. Don't just, don't go away. Yeah, there's a little bit of tension there. I noticed, I think I was looking at you and noticed that you you noticed that as well. You, you're feeling, you're invested in that. It's interesting how quickly you get invested in the character of Al, the policeman, Al Powell. Is that his name? That's a silly name. What would you have called him? Al Powell. Al Powell. Maybe I pronounced it poorly. I don't know. I don't know what I'd call him. He turns up and he's uh, buying Twinkies, which is like an American sugary treat sweet. Donut. I don't think it's quite a donut. I've never had one. I don't know. It's some kind of thing like that. Yeah. And he's buying a bunch of them for his pregnant wife. And he just, he's kind of charming. He's kind of fun. He's kind of lighthearted. And then yeah, he gets I think we'd be mates. shot at us. I'd like to think so. I think he'd like us. Yeah. Give us a shout out. Uh, I haven't written down the actor's name who played Al. So, um, sorry, Al. I really like the hose pipe scene. Okay. That was fun. Apparently, that was the first scene that was shot. And Bruce Willis did a lot of his own stunts, including most of that stunt. Yeah, so he's on top of the building. The building's about to explode. He wants to get off the top of the building and survive. He wraps a fire hose around himself. It would never work. And jumps off the side of the building. Because he, he doesn't even do a proper knot, I don't reckon. If he was going to do it, like, abseiling would be safer than just jumping. I don't know that he really had time to abseil. No, he should have tried. And then somehow he ends up back in the building again. He shoots the glass yeah, and then swings in through it. Yeah, it was cool. It was not what would happen in real life. In real life, he would have just died. He would have been blown up and died, yeah. Um, but I think that's the nice thing about films is it gives you a chance to to think, oh, yeah, I'd, I'd survive too. You know, watching those films, you're like, oh, yeah, now I have an idea of how I would survive that. And when really you'd just be a pancake on the on the bottom of the ground. On the bottom of the ground, <laughs> you'd be a street pancake. You'd just be like, done. Yeah. Because it wouldn't have worked. I love pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> a Bruce Willis pancake? <laughs> do you have any favourite quotes from the film? I do have a favourite quote, actually. There's plenty of good quotable moments, but when um, Bruce Willis's character, Don McLean, <laughs> John McLean, is fighting. Carl, who is the long-haired, blonde, blonde-haired German guy with a gun, he, just before he finishes him, he says, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to cook you, I'm going to eat you. Which is just such a strange thing to say. Especially in the middle of a fight. He's, He's really, he's really worked up. And that's how he expresses it. And also by killing him. But, um, I thought that was fun. That's a funny line. Do you have a favourite quote, Mark? Um, yeah, I've got a couple. Uh, I like when there's some women sitting down and then a man is like smashing things about with a gun and one of the women is like, God, that man looks really pissed. Yeah, that's the pregnant lady who needed the Uh, sofa. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also enjoyed this line from Alan Rittman. I'm an exceptional thief, Mrs. McLean. 
And since I'm moving up to kidnapping, you should be more polite. Yeah, she challenges him. She's like, because he gets into the safe and takes her for insurance. She's like, oh, it's just you're just a thief. It's all about money. And he, he like slides over the floor and gets right in her face. It's a good moment. Yep. Good moment in film. Shall we do a credit shout-out, Mona? Let's do a credit shout-out. Wonderful. It's time for the credit shout-out. Shout-out! Shout-out! That's what this podcast is all about. We bid up a person with a silly job or name. Like shoe coordinator. This is bound to lead to their future fame. I've got loads. Honestly, there were so many people that uh, I was just like writing down names. Uh, mostly on names this time. Just funny names. It was There was a lot of funny names. Give us a register of funny names. I feel like the 80s in America must have been a funny names paradise. My favourite American name is Randy. Oh, man. It's <laughs> just such a good name, isn't it? There's a few dicks in this film. <laughs> uh, one of the stuntmen was called Dick Zyker, or maybe Dick Zicker. I mean... Dick Zucker. Uh, that's not what I said. Carry on. The best boy was Blaze Dalquist. Whoa. Blaze Dalquist. That is like street. He is not from Burton Green, Warwickshire. I would put money <laughs> on it. I would absolutely go down. There was the no blazers in my village. An electrician called Brink Bryden, and then Doug Yonker. <laughs> Yonker. <laughs> <laughs> you said that so well. I really love the way you said that. Do, Do you think ever anyone ever called him a plonker? You yep. plonker, Yonker. I reckon they did. And if they didn't, we just have. Do you think he'd be friends with Willy Wonka? Doug Yonker and Willy Wonka. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a touring zero that is. Um, the property master was a man called Tommy Tomlinson, and they'd included his uh, nickname in uh, quotation marks, Tommy Tom Tomlinson. <laughs> How many more ways can we get this Tom in there? Insane. The construction paint foreman was Dick Girod. <laughs> We're just laughing at dicks now. <laughs> <laughs> just laughing oh, at dicks Oh, the now. majority. Any other silly name people? I think I've covered all of it. The uh, special visual effects in 65mm were by the Boss Film Corp, Los Angeles. <laughs> Little joke for us, gals friends. Oh. Cool. <laughs> I've got one more little plot line issue. Hit me with it. I don't think a TV crew can just sort of talk themselves into a house and then talk to some kids without the consent of the parents and that get live transmitted to the parents. I mean, maybe that could happen in the 80s, but <laughs> that that isn't that's not okay. I'd like to think that wouldn't happen. Um, she did have a housekeeper, didn't she, Mrs. Gennaro slash McLean? And uh, he threatens the housekeeper with contracting, contacting immigration and deporting her. Tricky to know what you'd do in that situation. Yeah, but that was that was far fetched. That was yeah. I, I guess, guess other things were far fetched too. But it's another like that example. bear, that bear was too big to carry. Maybe on a plane. he where won did it he? At where did he, did he? Did he buy it where it was coming from, or did he buy it in like duty free? And what happened to the bear? 
Well, the bear was in the overhead storage locker of the plane, and then uh, it was in the back of the limousine with our guy. So the bear survived? The bear survived. The bear made it. Oh, phew. Well, if we're done on Die Hard... Uh, let me just check. I'll take these notes. Simple plot, family core, and you care about the character. That really did it for you. It was nice. I enjoyed that you enjoyed it, that we were able to enjoy it together. Yeah, it was It was fun. Um, yeah, it was, it was all right. It wasn't too scary. It was much better than Batman in that way. I would have liked to see a little Christmas Day scene, though, with the family. That would yeah. have been nice and the kids. I also think after something like that, you would go to hospital to get checked out. You'd you would be made to do that. You wouldn't just be like, "Oh, I'll just go home now." In this uh, crashed up limo as well. Yeah, yeah. The front of the limo is all destroyed, and and you'd probably have to driver. wait four hours to be seen. I don't know what it's like in America, but oh yeah, well in America nowadays you'd be charged. Absolute oh, you'd also loading. have to like fill in some forms to be like. Oh, not to in the say 80s. what happened and yeah, an incident I think there'd be form. some paperwork. So it's not all happily ever after, is it? Well, no, because I've seen some of the other films and oh, what happens in the other ones? Well, there's a Die Hard two where they still haven't sort of fixed their relationship. Is uh, the same people in it? Is yeah. Alan Rickman back in no, it? No, Alan Rickman. It's um, in Die Hard three. Somebody comes in as Alan Rickman's brother. And there's Die Hard 4, where there's a stupid sequence with a plane. And yeah, uh, I don't like it enough to see one of the other ones. Yeah, and then there's Die Hard 5, which absolutely nobody has seen. Because by that point, we were like, come on, come on. Die Hard 3 was enough. Okay. That's my brief summary of the films. Well, if we finish talking about Die Hard... I think we might have. I thought we could do a little summary of... All Season the films one. we've seen and what we like. So we've watched ten films in total, five of my choices and five of yours. Yep. Uh, which ones of mine did you enjoy the most? I'll just remind you. You saw Titanic, Moulin Rouge, Billy Elliot, Bridget Jones's Baby, and Love Actually. Okay, so Titanic is... A good film. It's well made. It's my, it's the best of the five I've seen. I think, in my opinion. Yeah. The others, much of a muchness. Where we have Moulin Rouge, mm, chicken singing, Madonna. <laughs> Billy Elliot. Billy too Elliot. Gritty, Bridget Jones, baby, too girly. Yeah, there's a sweet spot. I th- I feel like Brid- Billy Elliot was good, and I there tried. There is to a sweet spot, and you still haven't found it. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> uh, Billy Elliot was good. I tried to make the point at the time. I went into it expecting it to be more lighthearted than it was. It's a good film. Um, I think the whole thing is I wouldn't choose to watch any of these. Yeah. Hmm. What if well, I could say that point. in a catchier way? <laughs> um, but I've come out of them. I think we both said this. I think I prefer to have the feeling of I'm watching this film. I'm engaged with this film. And next time I'll get to watch something that I really do like. Yeah, and I prefer I prefer it like that than just these compromise films that we both don't really enjoy. So you made me watch yep. The Matrix, yep. Gladiator, The Dark Knight, Saving Private Ryan, and this one, Die Hard. Yeah, okay. So what do you think? 
I was looking forward to seeing The Matrix and I hated it. That was probably the worst one. Okay, interesting. Loads of death. Didn't care about the characters and was really difficult to follow. Right. So that's a no from me. <laughs> Gladiator actually got interesting. After half an hour I got into it, I was like, Oh, actually this is interesting, even if it is even if it is quite gory and disgusting. I was I got into it. Dark Knight, too scary, too hard to follow. But like visually was good. If I could just see like a few photos from it, yeah. that'd be enough. The flipping the truck was good. Saving Private Ryan, I wanted to like that because I am kind of interested in like history and war. I don't mind that kind of death. But I wasn't really nah, not really bothered. And then this one was surprisingly okay. Good. Okay. Has it exp- has this kind of experiment expanded your film tastes at all do you think you would look at any films differently now because of what we've done and seen and said i maybe would be a bit more open to seeing a different kind of film because actually i i try like chick flicks all the time and loads of them i don't like but i just wouldn't try an action film really so yeah maybe I think if I was to answer the same question, I probably would try a bit more as well. You know, it's probably broadened my horizons a bit. I think there's a difference doing this than watching film recreationally when you're tired and you just want to put something on that's a bit comfortable and you don't have to think too hard. I'd still probably default back to something in that kind of genre, but I have appreciated watching some other things and even watching Moulin Rouge where it's really not my thing and it's a bit crazy and mental it was an experience you know it yeah. was, it was, at least i can say i've seen it and i understand it i like being all in on a film actually that's mm-hmm. like a good discipline for these times when you've got there's loads of films all over netflix and everything and it's so easy to sit there with your phone and like half watch a film and just reply to a few messages and then not get into it, but it's sort yeah. of your own fault. Yeah. So it's made me think I should more intentionally, if I'm going to sit down and watch a film, I should do it without a phone and preferably make the time to see the whole film in one go. Yeah. And not just sort of put something on and not get into it because you're only half watching it. That's like the worst of all worlds. One thing it's also made me appreciate is uh, reading through all these credits. We've read through 10 sets of credits that we would not have normally... Yeah. You know, when it comes up to the end, whatever, I recreationally, I'll turn a film off. I know there's some cultures, they talk about people will sit through the credits as a mark of respect to the people who've made it. But reading the credits has made me think so much work goes into making a film. It uh, is These impressive. big films, especially. So many people are put in their blood sweat and tears and it's so many people's like actual job that you would never think of mm. you know all those people we listed and it's hard to sort of give it value in a way when when you're not seeing it at the cinema and you're just seeing it on a service that you pay for monthly or your brother pays for monthly thanks josh to like not value it because you're not you're not investing anything in it 
financially whereas at least when you go to the cinema you are at least you're committed to watching that film you have to switch your phone off and you are paying a bit of money it makes you value the thing more do you know what it makes me think maybe we should go to the cinema together one day and watch a film whoa i don't think we've done i don't think we've done that since having kids i think i've seen three films at the cinema since having kids and you were with the kids each time i think the last film i remember seeing in the cinema with you was the wolf of wall street oh that was actually like a really good film but really like so much going on over the top we were like why is it an 18 it's about money and then we're like oh that's why uh one thing i did want to say on your point we just had um i feel like that's why we we did the credit shout out was to kind of try and identify that there's so many people putting their effort in and working you know all those carpenters called steve that worked on love actually <laughs> you know all all of those people the woman in water in titanic <laughs> i think she was called Catherine. the like, shoe coordinator the shoe coordinator <laughs> still hasn't texted us back um <laughs> We see you and we respect you and thank you for your contribution. Like, you know, the ticket sales don't A lot go of them were just job. laughing at people with silly names. <laughs> so that's so not so much. No, but it's, okay, it's given me an appreciation and and uh, from this tiny little podcast that may not get heard by any of those people, thank you. Like, because I really enjoyed the film Die Hard that came out two years after I was born. I'll probably never meet any of the people that made it. But they all contributed to making this film that we both enjoyed. Yeah. It's made me think, I really want to be the person who makes paper mache props <laughs> for a film. I'm, but how do you how do you do that? I've, I never see that in the job centre. Should we say Merry Christmas? So I think all that's left to say is a big... Merry Christmas. Thanks for watching, listening. <laughs> if you enjoyed it, give it a share. Yeah. Give it a review on Apple Podcasts. If you've got an Apple phone, you can do that. Yeah. And at some point in 2021, we will do another season. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We, we wish, wish you a Merry Christmas. Christmas. We, we wish you a Merry Christmas, Christmas and a Happy New Yeah. Uh-huh.